this evening. Jonah chapter number 3. If you were with us this morning or you just managed to catch up on the internet, you'll know that we were looking at chapter 2 of Jonah, which was about repentance. And so I'm hopefully uh, hoping that you're all fully right with God now. You've got home, you've repented, you've dealt with what you need to deal with, and you're right with God. So we'll all say yay and amen. Okay. So, <laughs> good. That's good. It's good. It's good that you're right with God. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm full for that. But now, we've got to do the work. We've got to do the work. See, repentance is about getting right with God, but being right with God is about doing the work of God. And when we get to chapter number three, if, if again, I'll just give you a brief outline of, chap- of Jonah. Chapter one is uh, Jonah's attitude of rebellion. Chapter number two is Jonah's attitude of repentance. Chapter number three is Jonah's attitude of responsiveness. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask his blessing upon all that's going to be said and done and seek his face. And then we're going to see what it means and how we can be responsive to the great task that's set in front of us as the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the time that we have to come together to hear from you. And Lord, as your word is opened, we pray that you would speak to us, challenge us, uplift us. Lord, whatever it is, have your way. And Lord, we do realize that the task at hand is great, that we have a great responsibility as those that have the gospel. Lord, as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans, he was a debtor to those that hadn't had the gospel. And it is a heavy burden. And at times, Lord, it seems like an overwhelming task. A difficult one. But Lord, we know that where you are, your strength is, your authority is, and your power is. So Lord, will you help us as we look at Jonah this evening to see what you would have us to see. Lord, would your spirit move amongst us. Have free reign this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever look at a task and think, no chance. Just practically, just practically. You know, you may have been set a goal you may be in, in work and you've been asked to do something and you look at it and you think, that's not achievable. It's never going to happen. And what goes on in your mind is you have this equation that works along this process. You look at the task at hand, you size it up, you size your own abilities up and you compare the two and say, yay or nay. I can do this. Maybe you've had a, 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 a personal ta- task that you've set yourself. I know I've used Claire as this illustration a couple of weeks ago, but um, Claire's on a little fitness run at the minute. And she's doing... <laughs> li- the thing I don't like about masks when I'm using illustrations is I don't know whether she's smiling <laughs> or grimacing. 
I'm going to go with smiling. I'm going to be optimistic. She's smiling. But she's doing a little bit of an exercise thing. And she's, she's, she's working out with Joe Wicks. Do you know who Joe, Joe Wicks is? Anybody know who Joe, Joe Wicks is? Yeah, the exercise coach, whatever you call this guy. And uh, so what happens is, is that Clara put him on the TV. And she'll do this high-intensity workout, which started off at 15 minutes. She's now up to 30 minutes. But this is, this is what I used to come down to in the morning, and the kids would, would back this up is Claire would be talking with this instructor. And all I would hear is, no, Joe, I can't do it, Joe. And, and Joe's in the background going, one more push-up. Come on, push yourself. And she's going, no, Joe, no, can't do it. And what's going on is she's looking at the task at hand, another five push-ups. She's looking at the size of the woman and going, I can't do this. And for practical stuff, that's okay. It's fine. It's fine to look at practical stuff, the day-to-day stuff like that, and look at it and say, well, what is the task? And what am I capable of and what can I achieve? That's fine. That's fine. But when we talk about spiritual work, when we talk about the work of God, the equation that we use in normal life has to go out the window. It has to go out the window. Because when we look at the task at hand, give you an example, Evangelize Milton. How many people live in, in Milton, would you say? You don't know? <laughs> a, lot. a lot, okay. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. I don't know. Evangelize Stoke. How many people live in Stoke? Yeah. 260,000. No? 260, I'll take your word for it, but yeah, 260,000. A lot of people. And we're to take the gospel to all people. And you look at that task, and if you look at it through human eyes, and, and I mean, even if you narrow it down to Milton in this area, you think, we're never going to be able to do that. Bring this town to Christ. Bring this city to Christ. But when God's in something, the equation has to change. We look at the size of the task, and we assess it and, and say, it is massive, it is big. But then we look at the one who provides the strength for the task and we understand that it's not us, that it's God, and that none or nothing or no one or no task is bigger than God. And therefore the equation that we use in our normal life is turned upside down. It's turned around. And in Jonah chapter number 3, we see this play out. Because this is a mind-blowing task for Jonah. One man to go to Nineveh, which is a massive city at that time. Massive. Like 30 to 60 miles uh, across, including Nineveh and its administrative district. Massive. But one man has got to go there. And one man does go there. And this mighty miracle of God takes place. And again, it's recorded in Scripture. So it's not an allegory. It's not a fantasy story. It's the truth where one man, obedient to God, went to Nineveh, preached to them, and they turned to God in their entirety. Repented, and God spared them. If you look at that just as task you think my goodness me one man versus a city but that's humanized 
of the spiritual work of God. It's not one man versus a city. It's the God of all creation over everything else. And the equation turns round and it turns upside down. And, and, and why I want us to look at this and why I want us to think about this is, yes, if we get ourselves right with God in Jonah chapter number 2, and then we move to Jonah chapter number 3, and we want to be responsive to the work, we can immediately start to think, we can't do this. I know what God wants me to do, but I can't do it. I know what God wants us to do. But we can't do it. And we start looking at the task through human eyes. But what Jonah is going to show us, that it's God that is sovereign. This is the story of Jonah. God is sovereign. He doesn't become sovereign based on the situation. He doesn't enter into sovereignty. He is sovereignty. He has never changed from being sovereign. So the God that moved and used Jonah, one man, to reach that city, can do the very same thing through any obedient servant of his. The problem is, we don't believe that. We don't believe it. Why don't we believe it? Because we're looking at the size of the task. The signs of the person and going, it's not achievable. But when God's in it, it turns upside down. Because the size of the task is never bigger than the size of the one who sets the task. Never. So as we look at the, the text of Jonah, I want to break it down into two parts. And, and the firstly, first thing I want to, want to break out from this is, is look at the task in Uh, At hand, sorry. We want to look at the task at hand. And we've talked a little bit about this, but let's just pick up in chapter 3, verse 1 of Jonah. This is the task at hand. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Before we get into this anymore, what we want to see here is that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Don't let that pass you by. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. And we can, we can just read on in this narrative and, 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 and really start to look at towards Nineveh and what's going to happen there. But, but to me, it's a greater miracle almost that God is willing to speak to Jonah again. I mean, what's Jonah done? He's rebelled. He's ran. God has given him an opportunity to be part of something amazing, something anointed, something blessed, and he has ran from it, rejected it, ran the other way belligerently. And God now says, Jonah, I want you to go again. Speaks to him the second time. And again, that's our God. Did God need Jonah? No. Could he have used somebody else for the work that he was about to undertake? Yes. But God was still willing to call the one who had fallen and fell far away from God and his will. I mean, how would we have reacted in that situation? 
How would you have reacted if, if you tasked somebody with so amazing, something so amazing, so mind-blowing, almost an opportunity of a lifetime, and they had literally thrown that back in your face? Ran out the door and, and you know, they, they maybe repented and, and you'd forgiven them. But would you trust them again? Would you give them that opportunity? Or would you say, you've messed out. I mean, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold it over you, but... I'm done with you. That's not our God. That's not our God. You know, if our God wasn't the God that spoke to us a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, there would be nobody in the service of the King today. But God speaks again. How gracious is God? Merciful as God. I mean, think about what's going to happen. And he, he wants to use Jonah for that. He hasn't given up on him. He speaks to him the second time. And the other thing that I want you to notice is that when he speaks to him the second time, look at verse 2 at what he says, Arise, go on to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Turn quickly back to chapter number 1 in verse 2 where God first spoke to Jonah. And he says this, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. What do you notice between uh, what God said to Jonah in verse number 2 of chapter 1 and what God said to Jonah in verse number 2 of chapter 3? What do you notice about those two things? What do you see? Compare the two. Anything different? Not really. The task is the same. It's the same. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare my word. So what do we see there? That God is the God of of the second chance and the third chance. But what we also have to see is that God doesn't change his mind. Based on how we react to what he has for us. God's word hasn't changed. The, the, The plan hasn't changed. Just because Jonah has, has, has thrown his toys out of the pram, just because Jonah has had a hissy fit and ran from God, hasn't changed the plans of God. And when God speaks to Jonah a second time, it's not to say, there, there, Jonah, you're right, there's something different now, we're going to change it to suit you. That's not how God works. That's not how he operates. If you're a parent, here this evening, sometimes you've been in, in this place, I'm sure, where the kids are kicking off because they're not getting their own way. And sometimes we just give in and say, all right, we'll do something different. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. We can stamp our feet. We can shake our fists. We can run wherever we like. But the word of God and the will of God will not change based on what we think about it. It just won't. And that's a simple truth, that God's word is perfect. God's word is clear. And when God's word comes again, God hasn't changed. It's Jonah that's had to do the changing. God hasn't moved. And really, and I said this this morning, that that we should have really picked up in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 2 and then moved directly to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3 where it says, So Jonah arose. Everything in between that, 
shouldn't have had to have to happen. Remember I said that this morning? It's a chapter that didn't need to be written. And again, I can't help but think of the chapters in our lives that have been written that don't need to be in there. The difficult things that we faced that didn't have to be there. How many deep sea moments have we been in when everything's coming in around us? We're draining. We didn't have to be there. We could have just been responsive and and skipped chapter 2 and gone straight to verse 3. So Jonah arose and went. See, the word of God's clear. It hasn't changed. The task hasn't changed. The size of the task hasn't changed. God spoke again to Jonah and he said, Go to Nineveh and preach the preaching that I bid thee. Take my word to them. This massive city full of wicked people. The Assyrians were famed for their wickedness. From earthly eyes, it looked like an impossible task. From earthly eyes, it looked like an overwhelming one for Jonah. Based on his ability, weighed up against the task at hand. But that's not the equation to use when we are in the will of God. See, where God's will is clear, the size of the task is irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> it's alright I was just about to read that <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take a break don't, don't run from the will you're, going, you're running from the will of God <laughs> yeah that's it it's alright she'll come back in repentance don't worry <laughs> Where God's will is clear, the size of the task at hand is irrelevant. That's the point. Because what we'll see now as we move to our second point, that yes, the task at hand was a big one, but what we see that really and truly the task was always in hand. Not in Jonah's hand, but in God's hand. Let's look at verses 4 to 10. This is the task in hand. Verse 4. I did say you would be back in repentance and you could move on. So, <laughs> Chapter 3 and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh, Nineveh excuse me, believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came on to the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne and he laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Lest neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent or relent, is maybe a better word there, and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. 
And God saw their works that they turned from the evil way. And God repented or relented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. And he did it not. So we've moved from the task at hand to seeing that the task was in hand. And Jonah goes, he, you know, he's, at this point he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. He's been being eaten by the gastric juices of the whale's stomach, you know, uh, bleached skin, lost hair maybe. He, he's not in, in good nick. And then he has to go to Nineveh, which is not a, a, a just like a one-day journey. It's like two to three weeks or something like that. So, you know, he's not a pretty sight, I would say. When he arrives there. And then he comes to Nineveh. This one guy looking rather weird. And starts declaring that, that uh, you know, God's going to judge that city in 40 days. And you look at it. And you look at the size of the man. You look at the size of the task. And you think. I'm going to listen to him. I mean he looks like a crazy. He's speaking crazy things. Pfft. Lunatic. But something was happening. And something miraculous happened. That, that you know, verses 5 to 10 there lay out that the, the entire city gets right away to the king. And the king declares that they all have to mourn and fast. And, and there's, a, there's a, you know, a mini revival, if you like, a national repentance of that little city, that big city, sorry. And they all turn to God. And you think, how has that happened? With one man in a terrible state, looking like a complete weirdo, hobbling in. And then, you know, a day's journey in, and the message that he says gets all the way to the king. And you say, well, how does that happen? Because in our equation of of practicality, that's one man, not in good condition, an entire city that are pagan to their root, to their core, surely they're not going to listen to him, but that's not what happens. In fact, it's almost the opposite, that his message sweeps through the city. Gets to the throne of the king and the king declares, we've got to listen to this. This Yahweh, this Jehovah, this God is going to judge us. Unless we get right with him. And we go, how does that happen? How does that happen? It simply happens through one man that's obedient. Because the power doesn't lie in Jonah. Lies in God and His Word and His message. And the simple truth here is that the obedient person is an anointed person. So, how do we reach the city? We become obedient. You know, how do we uh, touch people's hearts with the word of God? Well, we've got to be obedient. We've got to be right with God first. We've got to get to that place of repentance. And then when we get to that place of responsiveness, we say, God, whatever you have for me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, if it's your will, I'll do it. And then it becomes God's work through you. And that's the anointed work. Anointing just means divine power infused through the message that's proclaimed. 
Jonah's not the powerful one. It's not about Jonah. It's just about his obedience to be the vehicle for the word of God. And he takes the word of God undiluted, uh, not added to, not taken away from, not, oh God, we need to work this out so that we can try and make sure Israel's all right in, in the long run. Not taking parts of it, not saying, I don't agree with that God, so I'm going to add something else in here, because that's not obedience. That doesn't lead to anointing. But the anointing comes when we simply respond to what God says and do what he says his way. Simple. Simple. And we, we cry out, Oh, Lord, would you just turn this country around from its sin? You know, we can see where we're heading. Where we are, really. And we cry out for revival. Uh, and we want God to put his hand upon this land. But I honestly believe it begins first and foremost with the obedience of the church, but ultimately the obedience from the ones that are tasked to declare the message of God, that they would simply be obedient to it, not to add to it, not to change it, not to say I don't agree with it, but to simply preach what God has said for them to preach. See, it's the word of God that changes people. It's the word of God that brings alive that which is dead. It's not the size of the man. It's not the ability of the man in the pulpit. It's not their credentials. It's simply the anointing of God upon them as they preach the word. And we live in a place where, in a position that we've got to as a church, where we don't believe that actually if we respond to God's word that we can change the world out there. We don't. God couldn't do to stoke what he did to Nineveh. Really? Why not? Has God changed? Has his word changed? Has his authority changed? Has his power changed? Has his sovereignty changed? No. But we have to ask ourselves, are we truly obedient? Are we truly trusting? Are we truly people of faith? To say, do you know what? God could turn this country around. Do you know what? God could turn this world around. If we get out there and be obedient. Now, we know that the scriptures say that things will wax worse and worse. We understand that. But we don't have to be resigned to that for now. God's plans will always be fulfilled. But that doesn't mean that God can't do a mighty work in this land. That doesn't mean that God can't spread revival across this land. But people don't believe it. I don't believe it at times. I think, this is just swimming, you know, upstream, God. Can't be done. You know, the last revival in England was um, across Norfolk, 1921. 1921 is called the Forgotten Revival. Not much is said about it. But it began with uh, a group of, of preachers that were concerned about the signs of the times and concerned about that the Lord's return was coming and, and the urgency of the hour. And that revival spread across, across the east of England there, went out Anglia and Norfolk, and actually there was a lot of Scottish fishermen that were working down there in, in Great Yarmouth and all along there. And, and the, the, the revival spread, and then they took it up to Scotland and it spread across Scotland. And that was the last major revival in England. That was a hundred years ago. 
Could there not be another revival like that across England? Across Stoke? I believe there could. I believe this is the hour for this. I believe we have a world that's floundering because they do not have answers. They do not have hope. They do not have surety. And they're asking questions. Surely God could move in the hearts of all those people that are living in fear now with, with nothing and hopelessness. At a time where people are committing suicide more than ever, where they're closing the bridges. Surely God can move in a land that needs the gospel such. But God won't move until the people of God get obedient and believe. Believe that God can do that. I think we struggle to believe that God can even provide for us in our own lives. That God can protect us in our own lives. And God look after us in our own lives. And if we don't believe God to look after one of his children, how how can we ever make that huge leap to think God will just uh, reach this land? See, Jonah shows us that the task at hand was great, but the task was always in hand. God's hand. It's not about, you know, our abilities. It's not about, you know, what we can offer God. How skilled we are. It's not about sizing us up and thinking, oh, I can't. It's simply about being obedient. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I love this. Now, Paul was an educated man. Taught by Gamaliel. He was a master of the law. And look at what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says this. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but listen to this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not of Paul's power, but of God's power. How? Because Paul was obedient. And through his obedience, the anointing came. Paul was obedient. And it wasn't his clever speech. Was Paul capable of clever speech? Yes. No doubt. If you know anything about Judaism, we've been studying that at Bible College. I mean, they could put clever arguments together. No doubt about it. Paul says that's not what it's about. That's not who it's about. It's about Christ. And I preach in a demonstration of spirit and power. I'm obedient. And God is the one that's providing the anointing. So really with Jonah, that truly the task at hand was a task in hand. And I think that's an attitude that we should have as responsive people to what God's asking us to do. Not going into the task and saying this is not achievable, but going into it knowing that if it's God's will... It's absolutely achievable. And actually all he wants is our obedience.
to walk in what he has for us. And with the preaching of the word, Jonah goes and, and this mighty miracle takes place. The entire city comes in repentance and God, God offers mercy because when you read about God's judgment that's threatened all the way through scripture, you will find that there is opportunity for repentance. The only time that there's no opportunity for repentance is when you stand before God and he's your judge at the great white throne judgment and that's it, there's, you're done. But when God threatens his judgment, he offers repentance. He's willing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's our God of grace and mercy. And that's what happens at Nineveh. What a mighty miracle takes place. So as we've looked at it, and think, you know, we think about it, we, we look and we say, the task at hand for Jonah seemed too big. Seemed overwhelming. Put it down on paper and would be achievable. But when God's in it, the task at hand is always the task in hand because it's in the hand of the almighty, sovereign, all-powerful God. So what can we take away from this? Well, there's three things, I think. Firstly, and Mind-blowingly, let us rejoice as believers that failure isn't final with God. Yes, Jonah failed him, but God spoke on to him a second time. And you may be sitting here thinking, you know, I, there's things I should have done for the Lord. There, there, there's uh, you know, work that I should have been involved in, and I didn't do it. Uh, and, and God's not going to want to use me again. God wants to use you again. He wants to use you again. Failure isn't final with God. He's the God of the second chance and the third chance. He just wants us to be repentant and turn to him. Second thing I see that we should apply to our hearts, I believe, is that God's word doesn't change. And God's will doesn't change. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we think it's a good idea or not, God's will is always perfect. And his word is always perfect. And then thirdly, I think most importantly, we have to understand that it's not our task to turn the heart of sinners. See, Jonah's task was never to convert Nineveh. Jonah's task was simply to proclaim the word of God. And it was the word of God that did the work of God and turn those sinners into saints. It's never our job to turn the heart of sinners. It's to simply be obedient, to be responsive, to proclaim the word of God, and let that anointed word go forth. And maybe, maybe, God will be gracious and merciful enough to do the miracle of Nineveh in Milton, in Stoke, in Staffordshire, and maybe across this country. Let's pray.